thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In. You are tuning in to one of our 2019 year in review segments. I am your host, Kayla St. Ange. Joining me as always is my co-host, Tyler Hannon. That's me with this voice. (laughs) And this is, uh, I guess we have referred to it as in the past, the fun episode, the blockbuster episode, the people's choice episode. (laughs) This segment is about those movies that were huge in the public conscious, maybe weren't 100% Oscar bait in the way some of our prestige choices were. Maybe some of them deserved to be nominated for more Oscars. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that more later. But, um, but, but yeah. also not as anxiety-inducing as our thrills, chills, and frills yes. episode. So this is going to be just a fun, good time with, again, some of our favorite guests, some of our best friends. Uh, We're so happy to have had everybody on this year. Like I said before, this is our biggest year-end episode ever. Um, Maybe next year will be bigger. Maybe next year we'll start planning before the month of January and it'll go better. But you're just gonna just gonna drag me right here on the podcast. I'm being dragged because I also did nothing and you did all the work, so I just showed up and talked. I mean, that's very important. This is a labor of love that we love to do. Tyler has done a great job with it, and handled a lot of scheduling while I was very busy and very graciously allowed me to just show up and talk and not put in any of the production or scheduling work. So Tyler, I appreciate you. Thank you. And on that note, I would love to hear what your fun pick for 2019 was. Well, Kayla, my fun pick is uh, the movie Hustlers, a critical and financial, if not Academy success. (laughs) So we saw Hustlers together, um, and met, as we've said, many people have seen Hustlers. It is, in many ways, it's in the vein of some classic crime saga movies. Uh, it is about, let's see, I'm going to read a description here. It is about, per uh, the Internet Movie Database, inspired by the viral New York Magazine article, Hustlers follows a crew of savvy former strip club employees who band together to turn the tables on their Wall Street clients. Interestingly, it's also about women who did nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, it's, so it's based on this true story of just that. And in many ways, it's a familiar story in that we, again, see these this group uh, of like in many ways, misfits or disadvantaged peoples in society coming together to commit crimes to get ahead in life. And as the viewer, we are often on their side and rooting for them, even if what they're doing are technically crimes. What is different about this movie compared to many of those in the past is it stars almost exclusively women. And I guess it's maybe not rare for the people they're getting one up on to be like, shitty people but they're just a specific kind of shitty people in that many of them are besides being you know white collar douchebags uh they're also people who are in some cases preying on women and it's very fun to see them get their comeuppance and so kayla feel free to join me on this one but uh it's just it is a very compelling and thrilling watch it is a lot of fun and i think it has a lot of great performances Again, to what I will say in our Us episode, Jennifer Lopez, deservingly the highlight, but I think a lot of the performances surrounding her are really great, too. Constance Wu is also incredible in this movie, and, like, she's the star, so I guess that makes sense, but um, I guess 
when I think about the experience of watching this movie, I think of the quiet moments in the theater in which every person in that audience was so captivated, you could hear a pin drop. And I haven't had a theater going experience like that. On And it was, it was opening weekend. The theater was packed. And everyone was on board with this movie. And to see like this kind of story being given that kind of audience respect, I think that even if we haven't all been strippers or bullying, drugging and conning Wall Street execs, I think that there's a part of a lot of us who can relate to being poor and feeling like you have to do whatever you have to do to get ahead and what it feels like when you think you've found a way to game the system and get what you deserve from people who have been taking advantage of you. And like, I get really emotional about any movie that's about a group of women. <laughs> the the interpersonal relationships in this really shine. And I think that when you take Constance Wu's character and Jennifer Lopez's character and you read this movie as kind of like a strange romance between the two of them – And when you see how they're kind of trying to, like, communicate with each other through this journalist after, like, the shit hits the fan and the courts and the – all of that stuff, what this movie is about is about women banding together and trying to make something for themselves and take what the world has taken from them. And whether you agree that it was the right way to do it or that – Um, I guess whether it was right or wrong, it's something that men do every day without question. They will take what they think they are owed. And I really feel like we only get into this discussion of if it's right or wrong when it becomes about women doing something that men don't like. And I think that this movie's sympathetic lens towards them is 100% warranted. I think focusing on the the 2008 financial crisis and – bringing that to the forefront and trying to remind people of the ways in which like we're still grappling with the fallout of that and how maybe for another generation we always will be and how and like who that impacted the most like you have a movie like the big short which is talking about these these you know mostly white men who are stockbrokers and mortgage loan people and like yeah okay i'm sure that they had a hard time too but women of color are the people that were probably that were, I'm not even going to say probably, by and large, the most affected and the people who suffered the most because of this. And we have to acknowledge that. And we have to acknowledge that people have to do what they have to do to survive. And I don't see anything wrong with being sympathetic towards that and celebrating that, even if it's technically a crime. (laughs) Especially because, like, men are garbage. So (laughs) I hope I wasn't, like... No, no, no. I I I feel like I I was sarcastic enough. Yeah, no, I've I've just... That's, like, that's a part of the discourse that I've seen around it, where it's like, oh, you're glorifying criminals, or you're, like, showing that women can get away with this, or that they should get away with it. And it's like... I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's like great. Now we're having like now we're having these this dialogue about the morality of these mm-hmm. movies when women actually get a chance to make and star in these exactly. movies. Yes, and that's like I think that J Lo should be nominated. This is a fucking stars and like this is literally one of the most incredible performances of the year. The way that she inhabits this character and the way that she makes every decision that she makes make sense even when it's tragic the way 
that the story is written and directed. Like, I just, this was such a, a powerhouse movie when I'm looking at, like, this and Bombshell and seeing which one is getting the credit and wondering why which one is getting the credit. It's very obvious to me that at the end of the day, men are going to continue to reward movies where they are writing and directing to kind of pat themselves on the back for, I don't know, noticing a situation that they had been actively ignoring for decades on end. And then the stories written by women and starring women and like four women really are being left out. And that's such a bummer to me because I think that this was a real opportunity and it was missed. And I think uh, in some ways, the way we talk about how Jennifer Lopez deserves it almost maybe like, I don't know, maybe it came off as reductive or whatever, but like, it's not like I enjoy Matthew McConaughey as an actor, but I think of him because he has had multiple turns in movies recently, like his own like strip club movie and magic Mike, where he is like this really, really like maybe the most compelling character in the movie. Who's like not technically the lead, but he's also not doing as much nuance. He has like one or two. He's just like nailing his personality traits. Whereas Jennifer Lopez's character, uh, she has to do so much, and we have that like this veteran with just this earned and overflowing confidence who can just like capture anybody with just her presence in a room, but that we all that also evolves and we see another like many other sides of her, which is like the mother or like this woman who, as you said, falls in love in a way with the Constance Wu character and the conflicted emotions she's feeling at the end like like if anything the actual like her dance her pole dancing scene is like the most remarkable scene in many ways but i feel like her final interview at the end is just when i think of when i think of her pulling out constance Wu's baby picture and just like i'm literally choking up thinking about it right now and she's just like i like to keep her with me because like that's like uh, like as like i feel like as women, we have these friendships sometimes that are so important to us and they just don't work out for one reason or another. But it's like you still – you keep them close and you care about them and you want them to succeed and still have a good life because I think that we recognize as like a, a gender or, a, or a, a class of people that it doesn't do any good to be angry at those people forever. Like you still want them to have a good life because you know that it's going to be difficult for them to have a good life. And even if you're not with them anymore, you're not friends with them anymore, you still like kind of yearn for them to have the success that you once had, you know? And I just, this movie does such a good job of portraying that. And I think we're having this conversation now, but also in like 10 years, we're going to be like the fuck, like bombshell. Are you fucking kidding me? This movie is so good. So if you haven't seen it, it's, it's a powerhouse movie. I think I said that like 15 times in this segment, but like it's, absolutely incredible and i think that jennifer lopez is going to be in a movie in two years and she's going to get like a makeup oscar and we're all going to know that it was for this and it's going to be so annoying but in the meantime like what you can do is you can watch this movie and like be moved by it (laughs) at the very least like it was a success in every other way basically and uh don't have to measure success just by the academy awards it's just nice when it accurately reflects mm-hmm. what we feel that is the quality, but also like what the audience wants. I just Scarlett Johansson and Jojo Rabbit, are you fucking kidding me? You nominated that. Okay, fine. Okay, I'm done. I'm good. <laughs> I said this was gonna be fun and it's gonna be fun and I already cried on mic, so <laughs> And like this is like this is the at like the uh 
the footnote of all footnotes, but I I just discovered uh, that in addition to having directed The Meddler and Seeking a Friend for the End of the World before this, Lorraine Scafaria was one of the actors in a little favorite movie of mine, Coherence. And as soon as I like looked at the picture, I'm like, oh, right, I remember her. And yes. that's just a fun little thing for yes. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, just fun trivia. This is the first time ever that Fiona Apple has licensed out Criminal for a film in the history of it existing. Crushed it. Perfect. Yeah. Great scene. Perfect music cue. <laughs> good, good call by Fiona Apple yeah. on that one. Fiona Apple rules, actually. So if you are interested in her... Tune in next time. Do no, it. no, no way. Go, go research her. Go listen to her music. Amazing. Kayla, would you be so kind as to share your fun blockbuster, whatever else we call that movie with me? People's Choice. Yes. So excited to talk about this movie. Um, Completely different track than we were just on. Uh, My pick for a fun movie of 2019 is Detective Pikachu. You see, he has a little hat. He has a hat. He drinks coffee. Yeah. He's a Pikachu. Right. Like in the same way that Dr. Sleep, in addition to being great in... I, sorry, I should let you do your thing, but I'm like, <laughs> Rebecca Ferguson, a lot of put a hats. hat on her, great job. A lot of Pikachu, good hats. put a hat on him, great job. He's killing it. A plus. Um, I've seen this movie three times this year. Uh, once in theaters, once on a plane, and once at my home. And I just think it's so fun. Like, I don't know. I there There are complaints that could be made about it, about the script or whatever, but... I just want to paint a picture for you, and it's of teeny, tiny little me getting a Game Boy for the first time in my life when I was eight years old and turning on Pokemon Silver for the first time. And, like, I'd played games before. Like, I'd played Pokemon before on my friend's Game Boys, but this was my first game that was mine on my own Game Boy Color. And I don't know. Pokemon has just been, like, a constant in my life for the better part of it, I guess, for like two decades of it almost. Like that's like crazy to conceptualize, but it is so pure and good because at its heart, it's a series about treating each other with kindness, achieving your dreams and your goals, having socialized healthcare (laughs) and tons of cute little guys. It's really everything you could ever want. And Detective Pikachu, I think, succeeds because it understands that it is 
like for kids, but also that it has this audience that has grown with it for 20 years and doesn't exclude us and like makes jokes that they know that we'll get inserts like certain Pokemon that they know that we'll be excited to see while also including like newer generations. And I don't know, I just, we sat down in the theater for this movie and it opened and like a Pidgeot or a Pidgeotto flew across the screen and I instantly started crying because it's just, it has such this like huge magical feeling to it that even if like the script isn't 100% perfect. And even if not every joke works for me as like an adult human woman, I think that it just successfully captures the spirit of the franchise, is accessible to adults and to children. And he's got a little hat. <laughs> it's like on the one hand, love to see our favorite guy in a little hat. On the other hand, just the casual existence of Pokemon in this world is almost the most special part of it. We're like, yeah, dude, there's just, yeah, dude, there's just like a Lombre just hanging out. I just want to live in this world. I don't know. I just like, it's just beautiful. I love seeing it. And I loved, I had such a good time. I think it's so funny. I think that Ryan Reynolds is honestly actually such a good choice for this role. I think that Justice Smith is phenomenal. And like, It's a movie you can see in theaters or on a plane or in the comfort of your own home and you'll have exactly as fun of a time as you did like each of those times. I don't know. I I think that if you're looking for just like a fun, you just want to chill for a couple of hours and forget that the world is terrible. Like this is the movie to do that because it's got all of our friends, has some new friends that maybe like you wouldn't Mm. think would be in here. And like it has like a pretty smart plot twist that I thought was really fun. And like... You can watch it with your kids. I don't know. Insert meme. It's it's just nice. It's just nice. It's it just really nice. is. Like, I just really loved this movie. And, like, I there's really, I guess, not a lot to say about it outside of that, that it was fun and nice and cute. And I immediately went to Target after we saw it and purchased a life-size Detective Pikachu replica. He's very soft. Um, If you go to Target, they still have him. He's very soft. He has a hat. He's the perfect size to hold and hug. I'm a 27-year-old woman, and I love to hug my Detective Pikachu stuffed animal. So I don't know. Pokemon is just like a thing that I feel like is going to be constant in my life for as long as they keep making them because I'm still having fun playing them and I'm still having fun like interacting with this franchise. And like I'm so thrilled to have this as like technically the most successful video game movie of all time because what that means to me is that even if it's not Detective Pikachu, we can have more of these movies where – We just get to be in this world and it doesn't have to be like an Ash and Pikachu lens. It can be like, I don't know, imagine like a super cool Pokemon series where it's just like gym training or like understanding the concept of a Pokemon trainer or like more mysteries or just like anything. We have this whole like Pokemon mystery dungeon series to mine from. You have the opportunity to take like an interesting story like in Pokemon Crystal when Team Rocket is, like, taking over the radio tower and you're trying to, like, save the legendary Pokemon. There's so many interesting stories to mine and, like, create a main character that we can all relate to that then still has, like, a character arc. It isn't just, like, yourself insert going through and never saying anything. So I'm just really excited by the possibilities that this movie being successful presents. Plus there are still hundreds and hundreds of Pokemon that they can put little hats on. I just want, oh my God, think about like Wooloo with a hat. I love 
lose so much. I was joking with Ben the other day because I was I was playing Pokemon and I was like an early Wooloo stand, 100% on board it's the true. second I saw Wooloo arrive. And Ben was like, it's a normal type. I don't know, yada, yada. First of all, Wooloo and then it's Evolution, which whose name I don't know because I don't know any of the names of the new Pokemon really besides Wooloo. Uh, and also I named it Susan. So I've just been calling it Susan for like the past four months. <laughs> Susan rules. She's a tank. And anyway, the joke was I was like thinking I was telling him that when I was 17, I really wanted to get like stupid Pokeball tattoos on my hips and how it was good that I wasn't allowed to do that. And he was like, yeah, but like you could still get a Pokemon tattoo. And I was like, can you imagine if after 20 years of loving Pokemon, I just got like a Wooloo sleeve. It was just 100 <laughs> Wooloos. And they're like, wow, it's so cool that you love Pokemon for so long. What did you get? And I'm just like, Wooloo. <laughs> But yeah, Pokemon, good. I respect it. <laughs> um, do you have any other thoughts on Detective Pikachu? I guess you were the, you watched it with us. I, I feel like we covered most. I mean, he's good. Yeah, he's good. He's a good little guy. He's got I a mean, hat. He likes coffee. And does Justice Smith qualify as a Disney prince? I mean, he's got a dead mom. Uh, he has to like rebuild a relationship with his other parents. Uh, I think that because Disney still doesn't own Pokemon, thank fucking god. Right, uh, that's true. <laughs> no. Yes. And I'm only saying that and because I don't, I don't, want, I don't want them to own Pokemon. Please, can we just have one thing that isn't owned by Disney? They, they own enough things. They have enough things. They have it. They're good. Yeah. It's all good. And you know what? I bet they wouldn't put a hat on Pikachu. They probably wouldn't have. No, I bet they wouldn't have. Although they did give us, oh my God, imagine Baby Yoda and Detective Pikachu together. So now you want Disney to buy Pokemon? No, but like just imagine if they were hanging out together. Okay. Well, so like we just need some boot like merchandise then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Because they're not giving us Baby Yoda merchandise anyway. So like. Yeah, where is it? <laughs> we need it. <laughs> All right. Rambling on enough about how much I love Detective Pikachu and Wooloo. You're now going to hear from some very smart and respected people on some of their choices. I hope that you enjoy our 2019 year in review and um, I'll just plug one more time that you can follow us on Twitter at LTRFI pod. And if you'd like to give us money for some reason, you can go to patreon.com slash LTRFI pod and you can set up a recurring donation as low as $1 per month. Um, we'll catch you on the flip side. Oh my God. You can't do it on two of three. <laughs> we did it on all three because you did it on the other one. I don't know if I was still recording. I wasn't seriously. Do- okay, well, but you know what? I don't know. It's fine. It's in there. We'll catch you on the flip side. And if not, we'll see you next month. Oh, no. Is that our new catchphrase? <laughs> no. now is a past guest good friend entertainment writer brian leak brian thank you so much for joining us again no problem thanks it's been a while 
It has. And the last time you were on was for another year-end series. Well, then a year-end series. Now a year-in-review series, because it's more beginning of the year. But that's that's a whole other thing. Brian, can you tell me which 2019 movie you picked and why you picked it? Uh, this year I picked The Peanut Butter Falcon. Um, I feel like it kind of fell under the radar a bit this year. And so the same with the movie I picked last time being Midnight Special. Um, I figured it'd be something that no other guest likely chose. And I figured I would go with something to kind of draw some attention to it because I feel like it deserves it. There was one other person who mentioned Peanut Butter Falcon, but they went with a movie that I had actually never heard of. But that's so the Peanut Butter Falcon isn't so I have not seen it. I tried to see most of the movies before we talk about them. I had not gotten to this one. Um, what little I know of it is, isn't it like a big kind of a big indie success story where it's like this small little movie that actually accumulated quite a bit of box office? Yeah, it did really well as far as I could tell. I, I forgot to look this up. How dare I? Um, I believe it's got like a high 90s on Rotten Tomato. I want to say 98, 97, something like that. Um, yeah, I really haven't heard a single negative thing about this movie. At the same time, I understand why it wouldn't have any like Oscar buzz, anything like that. It's very simple. Um, there's no major frills. The, the cast is ridiculous. I mean, it has Shia LaBeouf, Dakota Johnson, Bruce Dern, John Bernthal, John Hawks, Thomas Hayden Church. I mean, the cast is stacked. They all have relatively minor roles, but it's there's nothing groundbreaking about it. It's just really like a faultless small indie film. Um, that just really didn't get a lot of major mainstream attention, I guess. Yeah, as soon as you were saying that, I was looking at the cast and just kind of, you heard me, wow. Yeah, when I rewatched it recently for this, I mean, I completely forgot that Bruce Stern was in it. His role is really small, but he's great in the film, as you would expect. Um, And like John Bernthal, his role is really only in flashbacks in the movie. Yeah. but everyone else, yeah, and then like Jake the Snake Roberts and Mick Foley are both in it. There's a um, kind of a wrestling aesthetic to the film because uh, one of the main characters, uh, first time actor, as far as I'm aware, uh, Zach Gotsigan, he his character wants to join this wrestling school and um, and become a professional wrestler. So there's those wrestling cameos in it, which is which is pretty cool too. I was gonna say, could you give me um, like a brief synopsis like you don't necessarily like have to reiterate the whole plot but what is the movie basically about um so you've got kind of two separate stories that conjoin you've got Shia LaBeouf who he's just kind of this down on his luck fisherman he tends to get in trouble a lot um and the funny thing is like this role him in this movie I feel like would be Shia LaBeouf in real life if he never became famous like everything about it just seems like what I'd actually see him as in real life um, and then you've got this Zach Gotts again. He has Down syndrome. He basically his family abandoned him. So he lives in this um, like convalescent home. They didn't really know what to do with him. So he ends up in this home and Dakota Johnson basically takes care of him. And he's constantly trying to break out of the home. Bruce Stern, who is kind of his roommate, he's always helping him break out. And so he finally actually gets out and um, runs into Shia LaBeouf, who is trying to get away from uh john hawks and uh yellow wolf i don't know why he's in this movie but he's in this movie for some reason and um he keeps running into trouble with them so uh they kind of join forces uh shia labeouf reluctantly at first and then they sort of become buddies and realize they kind of have the same path that they're heading on and so 
Shia LaBeouf makes a promise to him to get him to this wrestling school that he would, uh, that Zach's character would always see on these uh, old wrestling VHS tapes, which is uh, Thomas Hayden Church. His character is this old um, wrestler named Saltwater Redneck, and um, so that's that's kind of they go on this sort of like Tom Sawyer journey. And uh, it's just a sweet, simple, charming little adventure movie. Like I said, there's no major frills. Um, it's funny. It's got a ton of heart. Uh, you just can't help but love all the characters. It's really a movie that I recommend to everybody. I, I can't imagine that like there's anyone that wouldn't like this movie if they just sat down and gave it the time, you know? And I guess that w- is what would make it the, uh, as this headline says, the sleeper, like the indie sleeper success, success that it was, that it's just this feel-good movie about a couple misfits coming together, I guess? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, it's it's really uh, sort of a classic story, and um, it's just got that sort of, like, Mark Twain feel to it. You know, it's real, like, uh, sort of... I, I'm, I'm not sure where it takes place. I want to say Louisiana or something, so again, it, it makes sense for Shia LaBeouf. Um, a lot of it's taken place on, like, you know, swampy, swampy locations, and it's just got this sort of gritty just fun little feel to it. it it's really funny zach zach gods again the the character um he he's just so sweet and charming i was worried going into this movie because again he does have down syndrome i was sort of worried about how they were going to handle that as a character if it was going to be sort of exploitative you know but it's it never goes that far and watching a lot of press for this movie um interviews with him and shia you can just tell how much like everyone's really like protective of him and because um, obviously this is his first time experiencing anything like that. And uh, the, the chemistry between the characters is just amazing. They just seem like they genuinely had a good time. And it, it, it's such a simple, easygoing movie that it just felt like it was really just this little fun little getaway, almost like a like a camp or something like they were just having fun together, just filming out in the middle of nowhere, you know? Yeah, that sounds fantastic. It makes me feel bad for not having seen it because it's not like it's. I, I made time for some of like the longest movies this year <laughs> and managed to watch those, and this is just like a fun. I'm guessing not much longer than ninety minute watch, and yeah, I want to. I want to say it's probably an hour and forty minutes or so. Um, it goes by quick, and yeah, I mean, again, I there's. I don't really have any complaints about it. It's just you know front to back. It's just fun and charming and. Um, I I feel like I don't I don't know what the Academy's deal with Shia LaBeouf is. I don't know if you saw Honey Boy this year. Um that's I'm sure that's probably one you guys are gonna talk about. This could easily turn into a, a double feature thing for Shia LaBeouf, but I think he had a major year with some really good sleeper hits and really has nothing to show for it recognition wise, which is sad. That that's another thing I was gonna add, just like for, for what I have to add is uh interesting year for Shia LaBeouf's like Shia LaBeouf movies between this and the very personal Honey Boy and also for like movies about indie wrestling with this and uh fighting with my family right another yeah. movie I did not see but I oh, remember that's, being a, that's about. like another good one yeah I'm like did the Mountain Goats have a song in either of these movies because it seems like a real miss if not oh man you know I don't think there is one here there's a couple of folky songs in uh the Peanut Butter Falcon I don't recall with fighting with my family i haven't seen it since it was in the theaters but i i don't see it fitting in that as much i could definitely see it fitting in this so i would agree that it was a missed opportunity i'm de- well I, after we're done i'm definitely gonna search the mountain goats or john darneal's twitter just like control f in quotes peanut butter falcon and fighting with my family. <laughs> i just want to know what he thinks if he's yeah. um, but i feel like i heard mountain goats in something this year though 
I don't know what it was. I'm going to have to look it up, too. Now you got me. I mean, I would hope that I'd remember it if I'd seen it. It's kind of like a... Another, like, it's kind of like when I first watched Crazy Stupid Love. Most of that movie is not in my brain anymore, but I specifically remember hearing the Sparkle Horse song come in. All right. I was not ready. I might be thinking of, um, I think Colbert performed with the Mountain Goats on his show this year or something. I think that's what I'm thinking of. I knew there was like a big Mountain Goats moment this year. That sounds like something that would happen. Brian, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, Are there any. Final thoughts on Peanut Butter Falcon? Um, I just hope more, pe- more people will give it a chance and check it out. I know it didn't get a whole lot of uh, attention, and so there's probably a ton of people that aren't even aware of it. It's really just, it, it's sweet, it's funny. Um, it, it's genuinely one of the funniest movies I saw this year, and it also made me tear up probably two or three times throughout. It's just that kind of movie that just kind of runs the gamuts of emotion. And um, yeah, I just uh, hope people will check it out. It's got a strange name, but you'll see why. And um, yeah, that's about it, really. I just uh, I think it deserves more attention. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that with me and pitching me on this movie that I am among the people who haven't seen it. Yeah, how dare you? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll watch it soon and get back All right. to you. All right, yeah, let me know what you think. Could you uh, let the people know where they can find your work online if you'd like to share it? Uh, yeah, uh, right now I'm primarily writing and occasionally doing photography for Forbes. So you can probably just Google Forbes and Brian Leak, L-E-A-K, and you should find my uh, contributor page on there. And I'm sure other things from other publications will come up as well. Excellent. And I'll probably include a link to that in the notes. But uh, thank you so much for joining me again. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for having me again. Sitting with me now in our 2019 year in review series is uh, one of our most frequent guests, a great friend, fantabulous drummer, and just great at yeah. You know what? That's that's enough praise. You know that's that's plenty. Eva, Eva Friedman is with us. It's more than I'm used to. <laughs> well, you know that's what we do on this podcast is we praise probably too much, uh, if only because then I forget to actually get on with the segment and then i talk about it fair eva thank you for joining us again always uh, in 2020 to talk about a 2019 movie <laughs> yeah it's a, i look forward to this for i think we've done it like three years now and i'm always, i always look forward to it so i'm excited i know i always really enjoy it too and i never get any better at it and i think that's part of the charm that's not true you get better every time <laughs> so eva what move 2019 movie have you chosen to discuss today i have gathered us here today to discuss the one and only book smart i have seen this movie it's been a while but i saw it in theaters and had a good gosh darn time 
it's one of, I think I saw it three or four times in theaters and then have seen it several more times since. I've seen it alone. I've seen it in like group settings. It's, it's just so good. And I think that, I mean, I'm someone that loves all of the like high school coming of age movies, like stuff from the 80s, the 90s. Um, and I think the past couple of years, all of the coming, all of the great coming of age movies were really serious. Like we had Lady Bird, Perks of Being a Wallflower, uh, Edge of Seventeen, and they were all these really like intensely emotional experiences. And I think that we were ready for one that was fun, like more in the vein of Ten Things I Hate About You, Can't Hardly Wait, and it it gets funnier every time. I think we were also ready for a new fun coming of age movie that kind of reflected the way that we see the world now compared to you know twenty thirty years ago. And it's just a blast. It's so much fun. And I love that coming-of-age stories are becoming more rooted in friendship. Like, I love that the main love story of this movie is between Amy and Molly. And it's just so much fun. The cast is insane. The soundtrack is insane. It's just, like, putting all of the best things into a blender and blending it for the perfect amount of time and then just having it forever. I gotta say, that's pretty succinct already. Very nicely put. Yeah, I was going to lead right into asking you, so what? what is it about Booksmart that uh, you enjoyed so much? But here we already are. I guess, so Booksmart's full of a lot of great performances. Which one is, like, I guess this is kind of an arbitrary point, but why not? Let's go with it and see where it goes. Let's do it. Which one is your favorite? I mean, I think... Or, like, one that means the most to you. Whatever. I think anyone who has listened to me on this podcast knows that I have to say Amy. I think I think it's still pretty rare to see coming of age stories that really kind of hit home as like a gay woman in America and stuff. Um, I think they, you know, so they tend to be so rooted in like the coming out moment. So it was really nice to see one that was just top to bottom so well done between the writing, the acting. It's just fun to see it play out a little bit differently than it normally does. Um, And I think Caitlin Deaver was incredible. I think she nailed all of the beats with Beanie Feldstein. I think she nailed all of the beats, uh, all of the romantic stuff. She was just so fun to watch. And it was the, I guess this was the the only thing I had seen her in before this was Short Term 12. And I hadn't really seen her do something fun yet. So that was really exciting. And it, it was hard to not just like fall in love with that character. And Caitlin Devers ha- had a pretty big 2019. Unfortunately, the other thing was uh, much more grim in, uh, what was it called again? Unbelievable, the Netflix right. series. That yeah. was, uh, I've heard very good, but not fun. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I I mean, looking at the cast and seeing all of the praise that's come in, I'm sure it's very good. I just haven't had time to sit down with it. But uh, I, I mean, at this point, I think if she's taking a role, it's probably going to be good. And we're recording this. Uh, we're actually recording this the day of the Golden Globes. And isn't Booksmart nominated for a couple things? Ooh, that's it's a good question. Yeah. I think Beanie Feldstein is nominated for Best Actress there. That sounds correct. And I mean, that was like seeing her get to like take a lead role was so fun. Also, I think she's incredible and she's so much fun to watch. She just brings so much like light and personality to everything she does. So it was really fun kind of seeing her just getting to run and like go crazy for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours. 
I look forward to watching it again because I just, it was really just a really good and fun time in the theaters, you know? Good. I don't, I don't know. I don't, like you've, you've summarized it pretty nicely, especially since I'm not as close to, it and you've seen it a lot more. So I'm more like, ah, I don't need to talk that much. Eva's mm-hmm. opinion is what counts. Most. Yeah. But I guess so <laughs> here, like, like I don't, it sounds like we don't necessarily need to go that long on this one, which, which is mostly credit to the fact that you are much better than me at oh, capturing, no. you know, the scope of your feelings on something uh, in a very manageable number of words as opposed to like this sentence, you know? That's so but, nice to hear because I thought I ran on forever. Um, but that being no. said, I think it would be a crime if we didn't spend a minute talking about Billy Lord. I mean, we, I mean, of course, I have no problem with that. Billy Lord is just having a great time in the movie. Do like, yeah, go ahead. Go off on Billy Lord. It's the best. It's just so funny. It gets funnier every time. I've seen the movie over 10 times now, and it still feels like I'm seeing it for the first time, especially that character. Like, I think one of my favorite things about the, like, teen coming-of-age genre is how quotable it is, and, like, she just gives so much to, like, retain and spit out to your friends, and it's just so much fun. There aren't even words for, like the pure joy that I feel just watching her. It's, it's too good to be true. Almost. You know what? I did not realize that Billy Lord had acted so little. The only IMDb credits I see are for the star Wars movies for, and for American horror story book. And then she was in billionaire boys club, which I think was the movie that was buried because Kevin Spacey was the lead. (laughs) Yep, that's what that is. Yeah. Womp womp. But you got all that other <laughs> stuff there. I love the whole cast of the movie. There was just such a feel of like, we're all really excited to be here and we all love what we're doing. And I think that like, no one really captured that in the way that Billy Lord did. She was just oozing fun and hilarity and it, it's just so much fun to watch. Agreed on every count, obviously. And uh, Eva, if there was one way you wanted to, you know, summarize or cap off your like uh, your feelings on Booksmart as we clo- turn the page, uh, close the book, other metaphors on 2019, what would it be? Um, I would say that it strikes the perfect balance between fun and heartfelt. Like it doesn't rip your emotions up. You don't feel like you're in a coma after you see it. Um, but you definitely have a feeling or two and you just have a shit ton of fun. Well, that is wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us again, Eva. My pleasure. Where can the, the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, the good folks can find me on Twitter at Eva underscore Friedman. And then on Instagram at Eva plays the drums. Excellent. And it is important. The good folks, good folks only. Yeah. No, Other no bad folks. Good folks like, you can pass. It's cool. No, ju- just the good ones. And like, I'll take some mediocre folks, but mostly we're just looking for the good folks. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Eva. And we'll talk to you again in 2020, I'm sure. Awesome. I can't wait.
joining us now on this, our year in review series is, I think, so someone who has been on every year in review series so far, dating back to the, uh, the age old origins, uh, BC. It is friend of the pod and freelance writer, Gabe Akins. Hello. Gabe, thank you so much for joining us again. Yes, thank you for having me. So you have selected a movie from 2019, as I understand it. Can you tell us what that movie is and why you have chosen it in this most vaunted of platforms? Well, the movie that I chose for 2019 is John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. And really, the short answer, which we can get into the longer answer in a second, but the short answer for why I picked it is because it is probably the best action movie to come out last year and one of my favorite action movies in the last few years. I mean, yeah, Kayla won up to me on the uh, in one of our earlier segments by uh, I went on a long winded thing trying to describe why I liked the movie. I eventually petered out a bit and then Kayla just said, yeah, uh, it rules. (laughs) Indeed, it does. And it turns out every segment could just be that if we wanted to be. (laughs) Someone comes on and is like, Parasite uh, rules. That's what we should do next. Thank you for having me on. Take away last time. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, uh, Gabe, please. So what's your history? Like, are you, have you always been a John Wick stan or is this like a newer like fandom for you? Like what's, what's the deal here? So I was, I think like a lot of people when the first one came out that like going into it, like you're kind of thinking, oh, you know, this is like a, like Keanu Reeves needs a paycheck movie. And then we, everyone saw it and everyone went, holy shit, this is actually awesome. Uh, so I've been uh, a fan of it since I saw the first one. So the third one, very highly anticipated for me. And it definitely lives up to my expectations. It's amazing. What I think is crazy about these movies, which I feel like for context, I saw all three of these movies for the first time in the same day. Hell yes. Which is hilarious. Um, I I put off watching John Wick 1 for literally like four years because I was afraid it would make me too sad to see his dog die. And it kind of did, but I got over it. And like, I don't know. They're just, they're so fun in a way that I just, I can't really quantify. They're beautifully shot. The action sequences are stunning. It's kind of like watching somebody play a video game. And the other crazy thing is that when you watch all three of them for the first time in a single day is that you realize that the story happens across like a single week or something like that. Yep. Yep. It sure does. <laughs> Which is like, when did he, what, is he getting enough sleep? Like, Clearly not. Like, any food? Like, I'm just, I'm concerned about him. I'm just. Does John Wick poop? Yeah. <laughs> the only things we don't see are <laughs> pop ups, uh, probably eating a power bar. Like when is and, he going uh, to the bathroom? He's not uh, hydrated, clearly. He is clearly dehydrated in a lot of these movies. He's in the rain a lot though. Maybe he's just like opening his I don't I don't know. I just I love him and care for him because like Keanu Reeves is such a good pure man. And I feel like John Wick, even though he is a crazy spy murderer or whatever is also a good and pure man. And he's just doing his best and trying to make the world a better place. 
And it's also yeah. a much, much different world where yeah. I feel like morality might be a little bit Listen, different. Listen, this there. coin is good for one life-saving favor and also one taco. Whatever you need. <laughs> How badly do you need it? I don't know. But yes, yeah. Yeah, please tell us more things that you love about John Wick. Like, what is it that draws you to it? Is it like the the, the, the lighting, the style, the fighting? Like, what 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 is it? So I think kind of like what like we've been doing it is like i think just action movies as a genre are kind of easy to riff on because a lot of it is just built on this idea of okay like things don't need to make sense we just need people to like punch and shoot each other but i think what makes john wick so fun and so good and so interesting is that you can tell that all of the people involved in this, while they are having fun, they all definitely take this seriously. Mm-hmm. I mean, Keanu Reeves, like you said, a beautiful, great, pure man, uh, is just like acting the hell out of this John Wick role for now the third movie in a row. Uh, Chad Stileski, uh, the director who has been a stuntman for decades, clearly has an eye for this and clearly has a respect for the craft. And I think that's what puts John Wick above a lot of the other action franchises, is that everyone involved in this really does have respect for the genre and for the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think it also helps, too, that they're all really good at selling the story because in the hands of like worse actors or less committed actors, it all gets real silly really fast. Like it's really easy to make fun of like the coin thing or whatever. But when I was watching all of those movies, there was not a single second where I was like, this is kind of corny. Even like in the second movie when you have um, what's her face, like dramatically slitting her wrists in the bathtub. And I'm like, you know what? I probably would too. Given the circumstances in this movie, I get it. Like, I don't know. They just are all so sincere. The, they, the movies aren't style as substance because there's like a lot of dense mythology that is maybe only sparsely doled out, but it's all there. But it it is like a weird dense mythology that we're just like kind of... Starting to scratch the surface, out. right? Yeah. But yeah. the fact that uh, we like the movie is filled out with all these like pristine craftsmen sells the authenticity of this wild, wild world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, chapter three, especially, like really starts kind of peeling back all the layers on this larger world that they live in and all of the rules and institutions. And I mean, they've done it in a way that through each movie, you just get to learn a little bit more. So now the third one is kind of building even more on what the last two did. So you do kind of have this complete picture and it does when you're watching it, it does make sense and you buy into it. And another, so like another thing that I really enjoy about the success of these movies is not just, you know, the actual uh, incredible fight choreography and other kinds of craft that are, it like it validates, it, it, it validates the existence of the pursuit of and the presence of these craft in movies instead of taking maybe easier way out, ways out. But also as these movies are more successful, they have very interesting casting that I enjoy a lot, and I enjoy the people that they bring in. Um, you have kind of the obvious ones like Halle Berry and Ian McShane, but it also like the main bad guy from each of the raid movies. Uh, of course, Jason Manzukis, uh, <laughs> Asia Kate Dillon. Uh, I think that is I mean, there's a really cool thing that they have, in addition to the stuff that the series already did from the beginning. I think they are using their success to cast their movies in a like more interesting ways than they could be. They're not just uh, sliding in rando like 
bigger budget action star or whatever into it. They're still picking interesting people. Like even Jerome, like Halle Berry is like, I mean, she's like the most bona fide action star here, but then you get again, like Lance Reddick in there, Asia Kate Dillon. I'm repeating myself now, but right. Dude, Mark Dacascus is incredible in this movie. Oh yes. Oh man. I <laughs> so good. Um, I think I, I, can't, I feel like there's a story behind how he's in the movie, but I can't mm-hmm. remember exactly what it is. Is that the basketball player? Uh, no, no. How did I not mention Beaumont? No, Mark Dacascus is like the guy who idolizes John Wick and is so excited to be fighting him. Oh my god, we Who's... had like a, a real that's chappy moment in the theater because like everyone, there was like a slight undercurrent of excitement in the theater. We saw this and Tyler just leans over to me and Ben and goes, that's a famous basketball player. <laughs> and we're like, oh. <laughs> that's Bobon Marjanovic. He is... A very tall, lanky, weird-looking man with giant, <laughs> giant hands, and this is so cool. <laughs> so yeah, it is good. cool. Yeah, so yeah, that also kind of brings up like John Wick. The whole franchise, I think, kind of like brings like these like disparate like parts of the internet and fandoms together. Like John Wick, for anyone out there who also watches basketball, like basketball Twitter fucking loves John Wick. It's like it really is like a, a a series that has something for everyone. I feel like because you have like this world mythology, which is honestly like that's what I like the most about it. You have world mythology, and then like sad Keanu, and as you know, like I love a good sad boy in a film. That's unfortunately my favorite type of character in a film, um, <laughs> besides any woman. Especially <laughs> um, with the K name, you got Kylo, you got Keanu, know, you got I know. Anyway, so and then, but then, so you have the world building, you have the action sequences, which you can go into this movie and just only be there for punching and guns, and you're going to have a good time. You have the only major franchise to have like non-binary representation in it which is so fucking cool so and then like i don't know there's just like hot people all over doing stuff fighting with it like i don't know i don't know who wouldn't like i don't think i would trust somebody who doesn't like these movies because i really feel like they are like this great thing to bring together all of our stupid internet clicks like you can meme it you can take it seriously you can See cute animals like that don't die in the later installments. You get Jason Mantzoukas. <laughs> we even get one concert scene for music Twitter, which rules. Yeah. Like, ah. Uh. Lawrence Fishburne is there as like a crazy pigeon man who also runs an assassination guild. <laughs> who, who now has become an even hammier character as spoilers he's like super cut up and have a has a limp now he's gonna i love it oh man you know what else is crazy about the john wick universe especially in john wick 3 it's so crazy that every single person in that version of new york city is literally a trained assassin (laughs) every single person (laughs) that kid over there assassin that pigeon assassin (laughs) we haven't even gotten to the pigeon assassins yet oh my god i love it I mean, that's the thing about the Dominic franchise, too. So they already, the fourth one already has a release date. They're doing a spinoff called The Ballerina about the ballerina that's in John Wick 3 for about a minute and a half. I mean, honestly, like if they keep the quality up, they could literally do these movies forever. They could just, like, I. John Wick the Birds. Yeah, John Wick Extended Universe. I'm into it. (laughs) Like, let's do it. It couldn't go any worse than the Conjuring Extended Universe. So, like, it's like if Fast and Furious doesn't work for you as your big budget action Mm -hmm. franchise, you like you have John Wick. Yes. You like like, and a lot of people have both. Yes. Which must be very exciting, Gabe. 
I think that's you. Yeah, that that's definitely me. <laughs> Imagine if we were able to get like Tom Cruise in a John Wick movie. Um, like how much crazy shit he would do. He'd be like, no, no, no. You have to fire the machine gun at me for the reality <laughs> of the stunt. Oh, God, I would love for Tom Cruise to play a bad guy in a John Wick movie. Oh, that fun. would that would be so great because oh, I feel so I honestly I feel like that like level of like maniacal attention to detail would be perfect alongside everyone else in John yes. Wick. Here's my free pitch for John Wick with Tom Cruise in a villain role. Let's say that Tom Cruise as a young man was taken in by a, a strange cult and later ascended in the ranks of it and became a slightly crazy leader of said cult. And now that cult is trying to hunt John Wick because he has gone against the rules of that cult. Like just that's my free idea. And also there's dogs. <laughs> well i'm and sure also we'll be dogs. down for that yes but <laughs> we should probably wrap up now probably yes <laughs> gabe do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this free-flowing conversation uh on john wick parabellum uh, like i chapter three. like <laughs> john wick colon chapter three hyphen parabellum <laughs> is that really how it's stylized yes yes oh, wow that's truly terrible anyway please continue <laughs> Like uh, we talked about, and like I said before, I think what just really draws me to John Wick Chapter 3 and all of the John Wicks, again, is just the level of love and uh, love of the craft that everyone in these movies brings to it. Uh, they're all having a great time, but at the same time, they're all very committed to making these movies fun and fun to watch and nice to look at and all kind of make sense in this world building. And I just think that that level of dedication really shines through. Agreed. Yes, absolutely. All of of the above. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Gabe. Can you tell the uh, good people where they can find you on the internet? I am a freelance music writer. Uh, You can find most of my work at my website, gabrielakins.com, and you can contact me through there. And if you want to hire me, that would be cool. You know, toss a coin to your writer. Some more hot 2019 content for you right there. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Gabe, and we'll talk to you again in the new year. Thank you for having me. And joining us now is Megan Moore from The Daily Progress. Megan, how's it going? It's going pretty good over here. I'm happy to be back on this lovely podcast with y'all. 
Well, thank you so much. And what 2019 movie have you chosen to discuss with us on this glorious day? Honestly, it's probably the only 2019 movie I have seen because I'm terrible and have not had a life outside of our newsroom. But that would be the Netflix original, Always Be My Maybe. Well, unfortunately, Kayla and I are both uh, terrible, egregious monsters (laughs) who have somehow not watched this movie. Um, despite my quest to watch every movie before we discuss it. So please, tell us of the the wonders, the joys, the delights of Always Be My Maybe. Well, for starters, it's got Keanu Reeves in it. Like, what? Who would have thought Keanu Reeves would have been in an adorable rom-com? But, you know, here we are. It's 2020 now, and this happened in 2019. I will say, I think I've watched, like, seen that gif run for the amount of time of almost a feature length movie it's true of him just like entering the screen yeah there's that it's something but on top of that we also have ali wong and randall park one of the first things that really drew me to this movie was that it was not like a typical hallmark movie it's a cute little movie featuring an asian couple surprise surprise Where has this been all our lives? (laughs) Hiding somewhere. And it actually stayed pretty true to a lot of the Asian cultures. More specifically, I think it is Korean in the movie. I could be mistaken. It's been a while since I've seen it. But I was like, okay, it's not a whitewashed movie. I'm here for it. It's always a super relief, <laughs> I say, as a white person, but still, <laughs> I like the movies to be accurate. Um, I guess, so, what was, like, your favorite part of the movie? Oh, my gosh. The parts that I didn't cry through? Yes. Which is basically, <laughs> or- like, yeah. the story of my life here. But it's, you know what? It had a really good introductory scene, like, taking place in the 90s at first, and then doing this whole flash forward to the future. I mean, it is very much the typical rom-com girl meets boy. They become friends. They end up hating each other. And then years later, out of nowhere, they get back together. And like, we see what kind of chaos kind of goes on from there. As I'm trying to be vague here and not like spoil it for you. Guys. That's okay. Yeah. Spoilers are always okay in the podcast, especially oh, yes. when we haven't done the homework. So it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> um, how would you rate uh, the Keanu ness of this film on a scale of one to 10? I mean, it is by far the most Keanu I have seen Keanu in a long time. And just he, he basically plays himself, which makes it even funnier. He's like this pretentious, weird version of himself. It's amazing. I feel like as a culture, we kind of forget that Keanu Reeves just like has the range. He can do anything in any movie. And I think that we either get caught up in like the meme version of sad Keanu or like the John Wick action star version when it's really like Keanu Reeves is truly one of the more like the most sensitive and attuned actors of our time. Like, right? I, just, I feel like I have been defending Keanu Reeves since I was in high school. 
I love ev- like I love his performance and everything because I think there's just something about. I was gonna say this is going back to Dracula, right? Yes. Well, okay. Dracula is the only the only exception really is that because like and he even specifically was like, yeah, I was really exhausted when I was doing that movie, so maybe there is a complaint there. But, I, but that's like, a, like that's that is a part of my ex- my friendship with you yes, and our relationship with I, Keanu. I love Dracula. It's an amazing movie. It's melodramatic and absurd. But like the thing with Keanu is that he is acting in every movie for the most part, unless the role specifically calls for him to be obnoxious and over the top. He's acting like a real person. And I think that's what people don't get when they see him because he's not being actorly or like giving a performance. He's just being very natural. And like the way that like you would talk to somebody in real life instead of giving a performance, like he is inhabiting the character completely. So I have to assume that's true of this movie, which I haven't seen. It just shows I'm going on a very long tangent about <laughs> Keanu Reeves. Well, but, um, I do want to happily share something with you guys. Please. I have an article from The Atlantic pulled up, which like it was actually a great article. It is called The Subtle Subversions of Always Be My Maybe. Ooh. And I mean, it does feature some spoilers, but this one isn't really spoilery. It's actually something interesting. And... It talks about why Keanu Reeves was chosen. He wasn't chosen because he's an A-lister with a popular franchise in the zeitgeist. The folks behind the movie thought, oh, who would be Marcus, who's obviously played by Randall Park, uh, Marcus's worst nightmare? It should be an Asian-American icon who's a great actor and who's funny, but also willing to make fun of himself. This is what Ali Wong said. And then she said, Keanu was flattered that we remembered he was Asian American. That breaks my heart. (laughs) I don't think a lot of people actually know that. He is Asian American. Mm -hmm. And we have him to thank for so much in this world. That is true. Would we ever, like, I think we just owe our lives to him. I don't know. He's in charge of the universe, as far as I can tell, him and Baby Yoda together. I do think, in part <laughs> thanks to this movie and also just the internet in general, there's much more of an awareness of the fact that Keanu is Asian. Uh, because just, if only anecdotally, going off of how people reacted when when he made 47 Ronin and the assumptions that were made about that very specific point in time. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. Very. That but I think true. that that's like, that's when, when you get to have these movies that are just like like for and this is not to insult the movie but like banal rom-com like it's not a banal movie but like this kind of like very ordinary story and when you get to have that and it's not just through like that very white lens i think it helps like people understand and people like see that version of of Keanu and of like that culture of just being like, Oh, these are people and they're going through their lives and they're not that different from mine. <laughs> like, right. It's telling how revolutionary it feels when it's like, it's just a movie. It's just, a, yeah. It's, it's kind of it, that vibe of like how like love Simon is like that, where it's just like, it's a cheesy team rom-com, but it's about a, a gay boy. So it's special like that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, um, Megan, before we wrap up, do you have any final points on Always Be My Maybe? Other than the fact that I cried unconsolably after, like, once it ended, I was just like, oh my gosh. I have to say, the newsroom crew did a good job in suggesting movies. We all kind of have our own tastes, and when this popped up, 
one of my coworkers was like, oh, it's got Ali Wong in it. Like, it should be great. It's a rom-com. Who wouldn't love that? The newsroom did a good job in picking out a movie while my coworkers were saying, oh, it was such a cute movie. Like, what a good rom-com. We love this. Netflix should make more of these. I was there just like, you know what? This actually opens up a little lens into the lives of Asian Americans and how important culture is and to not whitewash it and just hooray. Yes. All amazing points. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything that you want to plug specifically before we let you go? I don't know. I haven't planned anything for 2020 in terms of writing stuff. Last year, I wrote some pieces I never thought I'd actually get to write, you know, like interviewing a punk legend from Fugazi and interviewing Andrew McMahon. Like, how am I going to top that this year? I don't, I don't know. Those are pretty amazing, but I have a feeling that if you don't top it, you will at least do something exactly as extraordinary. Let's hope for that. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And we will hopefully talk to you soon in the new year. Yes. And here with us now is one of our oldest friends and oldest guests uh, returning for the umpteenth time. Uh, it is Monica Date. Monica, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourselves? Well, I'm, I personally uh, can't get an introduction right, so I, it's all it's fine, though. <laughs> my favorite part of podcasting is when we pretend on mic as if we just started speaking. Yeah. It's literally my favorite thing to then also reveal on mic that we've been talking for 20 minutes. Yep. yep. Oh, yeah. We're just going <laughs> to... <laughs> We're just gonna lean right into it, you know. That's that's our brand. That's, that's good. That's what uh, you know. Every podcast has a hook. Ours is absolutely no era professionalism. <laughs> yes, but ours is. We're coming into this podcast like walking into a conversation at a party. Yes, <laughs> it is also. Kayla swoops in to save me from myself going on several tangents. Kayla. Monica, we are actually here to discuss your favorite movie of the year 2019. Would you care to tell us about what that film was? Actually, I'm not here to talk about my favorite movie because if we're talking about my favorite movie I saw in 2019, we'd be talking about Into the Spider-Verse. Okay, fair. Instead, we're talking <laughs> about a movie that I have thoughts about. <laughs> Ooh, okay, okay. Captain Marvel. Yes.
Tyler, you didn't tell me it was thoughts. <laughs> I should have mentioned that uh, last year I changed. Uh, what is your favorite uh, to uh, you've selected a film that you like? What is the film that you selected yes. from 2019? Excellent. Monica, please tell us. Your thoughts. So my thoughts, first of all, uh, congratulations to Marvel and congratulations to Disney for uh, finally giving us a female-led superhero movie. You know, only, I mean, we started this whole Marvel shebang back in 2008 with Iron Man and it took us till 2019 to get a female-led one and delayed it by two years because you got to deal with Sony to finally release a Spider-Man movie under the Marvel umbrella but you know not gonna hold that against you Hollywood tends to move slow when it comes to progressive issues uh, listen the Spider-Man needed to come out okay <laughs> Nothing against Tom Holland or John Favreau. No, I'm just kidding. I don't care at all. <laughs> but, oh my gosh. They pushed back both Captain Marvel and Black Panther by a year and a half each. That's right. <laughs> to squeeze in Spider-Man. There's a reason I didn't see Listen. <laughs> I have, I don't even have a sarcastic defense for that because it's literally inexcusable. So, <laughs> please continue. <laughs> Yeah, because we need to pay more attention to a 19-year-old white boy instead of, like, a black-led and a female-led. Anyway, <clears throat> coming back to Captain Marvel, um, I do have to say my disappointment, though, with it was Captain Marvel was the first Marvel film to go more explicitly pro-military and pro-imperialist, especially after mm -hmm. the brave stance that the Russo brothers took or relatively brave, let's be real, it's still entertainment in Hollywood and shallow, but the relatively brave stance that the Russo brothers took with the Winter Soldier of being very anti-establishment and like maybe government oversight is sometimes bad, where Captain Marvel, on the other hand, was completely uncritical of the military, completely uncritical of, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. and its varying things that it represents. And so it was a disappointment to me that finally we get a female-led thing and it comes with some very negative undercurrents, uh, mm -hmm. negative subtext. <laughs> Nothing against Brie Larson, though. Brie Larson is perfect and beautiful and I love her. And uh, also Disney's cowards because they wouldn't let her and uh, what was the other character's name i know the daughter's name was monica because of course i remember that <laughs> that makes sense um that's a great question that i also yeah. don't know the answer to Maria. See, this is the issue with the marvel movies is they all they all blend together now yes and um it's hard to remember specific details about them <laughs> yes so the fact that carol danvers and maria were not lesbians also speaks to disney's cowardice and kowtowing to like the worst things you know china has like banned Brad Pitt, but they still keep putting him in movies that still seem to be making money. Mm -hmm. Lesbians. <laughs> we want the lesbians <laughs> is really what it comes down to. And not lesbians like kissing after a battle in the background of a Star Wars movie. We want main character lesbians. <laughs> yes. Wait, so you don't want it just like a short clip that can be easily cut out for in international distribution? Exactly. No, I want it to be an integral part of the storyline because instead of going like this whole pro-military route, 
Captain Marvel could have been a great film exploring uh, Carol Danvers having to deal with, you know, don't ask, don't tell back in the time when she was mm-hmm. in the Air Force. And then losing her memory, blah, 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 coming back. Some spoilers, I guess, coming back and reestablishing herself on Earth and re integrating herself into the earth and culture now that you know things like gay marriage are legal a really cool character study to see her then also blossom in that way and not just in admittedly a lot of the positive things that they did with the character the character itself was great the trappings around the character are mostly what i have thoughts about Mm -hmm. and i think that these are all things that we like that we want to see in in so many more, like there are just, there are so many threads in so many Marvel movies that could easily be picked up or push the envelope just a little bit. And I think what's disappointing is that like after 12 years, they just refuse to do it. They have the formula. They even like replicate the shots and the color palettes. And it's just like, okay, if you're going to own 70% of the domestic box office every single year, could you at least pretend to care about the medium that you're dominating? Like, yeah. could you try to write something a little bit more challenging? Could you try to make it look visually more interesting? Like, I I feel a lot of those complaints. I had a really good time initially with Captain Marvel, but it's not a movie that holds up really on a rewatch. Like, not that it's bad necessarily, but it is really easy to still get caught up in that. Like, oh my God, girl power. Bleh. And then like the more you think about it later, you're like, oh no. <laughs> that was maybe not actually that good. Yeah. I mean, it's a thing that we need to recall uh, and remember as like entertainment consumers going forward is we need to consumers stand up and demand better because, especially because Disney has purchased so much and acquired so much and is so much of the movie industry we have to remember the founding philosophy that they're working off of right now from when Michael Eisner was their CEO, his quote of, we have no obligation to make history. We have no obligation to make art. We have no obligation to make a statement. Our only objective is to make money. And that's a direct quote, by the way. Gross. And so (laughs) that is like, that is the secret undercurrent Disney um, motto. It, it like that's their real motto, um, and so keeping that in mind, um, like we need to then demand of you don't get our money until we get you know some art, <laughs> please. Yeah, I I don't want. Yeah, I the same thing over and over, and it's you could even with the superhero genre. Um, It's a frustrating thing for me now. Again, it's been 12 years, as you just said. Uh, We have this amazing superhero genre that it's the age of the geek, baby. And that's awesome. Why don't we use this formula to expand and explore the way that sci-fi used to be? Um, Don't get me started on Star Wars. But the way that (laughs) sci-fi... A, a way to explore our thoughts and emotions and uh, what it means to be human. The superhero genre is perfect for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's definitely one of those things where it's like for a while I really resisted being like the like I, I tried to resist 
the the fatigue that I was feeling and just like the general like malaise of Disney owning everything. Mm-hmm. But I think as as we head into another year where it's just billions and billions of dollars to churn out this stuff, it, it, it becomes really depressing that you have to go to TV to find the kind of like emotional satisfaction or plot line or diversity or anything that you're looking for because and, – and I mean, it's great. It's great to have – meaningful artistic television, but sometimes I just want to watch something that's only two hours long. Like I don't want to have to make a 12 to hundred hour commitment for every single piece of art that I consume. Like yeah. it's such a bummer to me that the mid-level drama and that just like general independent art films and that kind of things are so hard to come by. And like, we're very blessed because we live in an area where we have theaters that show that kind of thing, but it's a desert out there for anybody not living near a major city. Oh, completely agreed. And that like, and not to undercut TV, but yeah. And, and the superhero genre, it has so much widespread appeal. Um, Captain Marvel, again, as an example, is a great movie to bring in reading on the internet all the stories of people say, saying their kids looking up to Captain Marvel and even little boys seeing Captain Marvel as a hero mm-hmm. emulated despite her sex that doesn't even cross their mind. And that is good. That is the ex- exposure that these things could have to have such a wide market appeal. But yeah, Captain Marvel... It, Overall, decent movie. Jude Law, I will say, A plus as a villain. Uh, he was a very mm-hmm. cool villain. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed on all points. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson was an absolute delight. Uh, in the goose, goose. I mean, goose. Goose is the MVP. Where's Goose's Oscar nomination? <laughs> That's true. He deserves one, and we need to make this happen. Yeah. And um, the, I will give an A for effort on the half-hearted, maybe we shouldn't murder refugees storyline. Yeah. My only issue with that is then it then like it presents like the American military as the saviors of the refugees. And I think we all know that that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, like the maybe we shouldn't kill refugees doesn't really parse with the we're going to um, Michael Bay level um, enthrone the military with absolutely no, no criticism whatsoever. Yeah. Yep. A lot of cognitive dissonance in Captain Marvel, yeah. I think, which makes sense because she's literally an amnesiac who can't remember anything for the first half of the movie. So I yeah. guess in a way it makes sense. I guess in a way it's fine. Um, <laughs> but overall, overall the movie was enjoyable. The cast w- did an amazing job with the product that they were given. Mm-hmm. Um, the direction was good. The editing was solid. Like technically – um, a very fine it doesn't hold up to multiple rewatches though mm-hmm. yeah I the issue with like now though that we run into also is that it's like I have to buy the stupid ticket for the stupid female led movie from Marvel or they're gonna be like whoops they don't make money 
Yeah. And well, I guess these things don't make money because no one bought a ticket. And like, it's, it's a subpar product, but now we have to buy it because Mm -hmm. otherwise there's no hope of us getting a good product. Cut to me just angrily slapping down a 20 for a Black Widow ticket. (laughs) Like, I don't want this at all. (laughs) This is not what I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) 10 years too late. (laughs) Right? Right? Like, damn. Okay, could you imagine if they gave us a Black Widow movie in 2012, how happy we would have been? We would have lost our minds in 2012 for a Black Widow movie. And now Scarlett Johansson just has kept talking for the past eight years. And it's ruined. Yeah. I mean, I I don't want to sound unfeminist, but sometimes sweetie, sweetie, be quiet. is the best option. She should absolutely be quiet. And it is in fact, actively feminist to tell Scarlett Johansson to be quiet. (laughs) (laughs) I I think any final thoughts or any other, anything else you wanted to plug before we go? Yeah, definitely. Uh, So to get back to the conversation about all the good shits on TV right now, um, Mandalorian has completely ruined my Dragon Con cosplay lineup for this year. So um, starting over with at least one costume. So that'll be fun. Totally worth it. I'm going to be the armorer. Amazing. Nice. Mm -hmm. Kayla doesn't appreciate just how amazing, though. I will someday when I finish the Mandalorian. There's only eight episodes. I'm working 70 hours a week. I'm trying. Speaking of of things that only have eight episodes and are amazing, The Witcher picked me up Mm -hmm. and um, held me gently in Henry Cavill's beautiful biceps. Uh, Is an excellent show um, and holds up to multiple rewatches. Like, finished it and immediately started rewatching it because of how well constructed it is because of said biceps <laughs> also because of said biceps <laughs> i've met henry cavill he's got a oh my god really voice. yeah he came out to ren fair with filming batman versus superman is he so tall and so beautiful he's so tall <laughs> and I, 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 i'm not gonna lie up until that moment i was like oh objectively henry cavill's kind of cute like whatever and then i got to meet him as he was coming into fair you know took a moment shook his hand said hi told him i appreciated what he did for superman and he had a very firm handshake and a voice so deep i felt it in my feet before i heard it in my ears and at that moment i was a henry cavill fangirl (laughs) (laughs) i love it love to hear it I can't. I mean, I can't. I have nothing to follow up with right, that. Yeah, I can't that's, that's it. I, I can feel that happening in my own brain. Like, I would probably fall into <laughs> that too. You know, I wouldn't be able to resist. Sometimes it'd be like that. <laughs> Sometimes I'll bet well, it'd be. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Monica, and we look forward to talking to you again in the new year. Bye. You can't see me, but I'm waving. Gentle people. Gentle people. They people will be our love in there all across the nation such a strange vibration people in motion there's a whole generation
a new explanation. People in motion, people in motion for those who come to San Francisco. Summertime will be a love in there. In these dreams of San Francisco. Summertime will be a love in there.